It's time for News Talk 720 KDWN's Ask the Expert Hour. Have a question? Call now, 702-257-KDWN. That's 702-257-5396. Good morning and welcome to Ask the Experts. My name is Brian Black. I'm sitting here with Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Brian. It's good to be with you. <laughs> now, I'm Brian with an I. Brian is Brian with a Y. But you can trust both of us right now. <laughs> hey, I, um, I've i known Brian for several years now, and I've represented him in his dealings with Beasley Broadcasting. So we go way back. We do. And But there's certain things that I don't know about you um, from the business standpoint. I've been listening to the show over the last several weeks. I'm going to say great job so far. I feel like it's been very informative, and I feel like uh, I've learned a little bit about your business more than I knew just from dealing with you on the business side. Well, it uh, it's given us an opportunity to get started, and hopefully the people in the audience will uh, uh, want to call and get answers to some of their questions. Well, it's great. It's, it's a public service. You're providing uh, free information for people, and then, of course, if they need more detailed information, they can always call you and set an appointment and get a free consultation that way yes. as well. Well, one of the aspects of your business, we've talked about a lot of different things uh, so far over the last several weeks, wills and trusts, uh, but one major aspect of Brian A. Lowe & Associates is elder law. Um, I'd like to get started on that subject today and, and ask you just to start with, how did you first get involved with elder law? Well, first of all, elder law is a very, very broad area. Mm-hmm. We think of elder law in terms of a person's needs. Elder law can be different depending on a person's needs and what they they want to do. For instance, with elder law, it may be an interest in bringing litigation against someone for uh, senior abuse. Okay. That's an area of elder law. Another thing may be malpractice in a nursing home, Mm -hmm. bringing some kind of an action against the nursing home. Other... Things may be long-term care, Medicaid planning. And so there are many, many areas of elder, elder law. And so any elder law or most elder law uh, attorneys narrow their practice to a very specific area of elder law. Right. And that's what we've done. We start, I started out uh, when I got out of law school 33 years ago, and I specifically did estate planning and estate administration. And the longer I was in the practice of estate planning, the more I found that my clients would get older and their needs would change, and they needed to do some planning around elder issues. What happens if I become incompetent? What happens if a child of mine needs special needs? And so what I did at that time, being primarily in estate planning, I gave most of that business, I would refer that business out to an elder law attorney that was specifically dealing in that particular area. So, and you've um, now absorbed that into your own practice. Yes. Matter of fact, about uh, 15, 18 years ago, I hired an attorney out of New York to come and work for me because we were uh, referring a lot of business out. And when she came uh, to my firm 
from New York, we started doing elder law as it, as it uh, applied to Medicaid planning, long-term care, uh, special needs arrangements. And we have been doing this work for 15 years plus. Now, how much of this work is proactive, preventing, like you said, abuse or um, uh, someone taking advantage of the person? And how much of it is retroactive, um, coming back and fixing a situation? Well, in our practice, we are not a litigation firm. Mm -hmm. I found early that if we were going to do litigation, we really needed to do specifically litigation. If you're not just doing litigation occasionally, you'll end up malpracticing and, and you're not doing your client the best. So when it comes to litigation, we were referring the litigation out and we're continuing to refer the litigation out. And when it comes to, to elder abuse or malpractice or something like this, we always refer that out. But as far as the planning for the long-term care needs of an individual, or preparation for Medicaid uh, assistance, we specifically work in that area. Okay. And there are two times when a person looks at this. One, in the long term, they're looking at a long-term arrangement. How can I plan my estate in such a way that if I do need long-term care, that it's not going to ruin my financial affairs and and an ultimate inheritance to my children and so in the long term we can plan that and that comes around the estate plan and taking into account the elder law needs sometimes people do not plan well in advance and so we get into a crisis uh, program and those uh, there are some tools that we use in crisis planning that uh, would not normally be used if you're looking at the long-term plan. You know, I think I can take a page out of my own personal history here. Um, my own grandmother suffered from Alzheimer's disease. And um, as a younger person, I wasn't directly involved in her care. Um, my parents and my aunts and my uncles, they were all you know, very concerned about her. Um, but when it came time, for them to make a plan for her to be cared for beyond the means that they were able to care for her, they were kind of, kind of caught flat-footed. And uh, they ended up uh, not really knowing what to do and being caught in indecision, and they didn't know how they were going to pay for it. They didn't know how they were going to uh, facilitate it. Uh, you know, they started looking at facilities all around the area and discovered that it cost money. It cost serious money uh, for mer- uh, memory care. And so um, what ended up happening was my own father... Uh, her son-in-law ended up kind of jumping in and figuring out a way to make it happen. And I think that you can kind of explain that process because I'll tell you, it's still a mystery to me how he made it happen because it looked like we weren't going to be able to do anything. And then suddenly uh, he was able to bring her into a memory care facility. Um, We're coming up on the break in just a moment here. Um, If possible, I'd like you to uh, expound on that a little bit when we come back. Sure will. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720, KDWN. Welcome back. Brian Black here with Brian A. Lowe. Our number to call is 702-257-5396. That's 702-257-5396. We're talking about elder law right now. And I briefly explained at the end of the last segment uh, that my own family uh, was caught in a crisis near the... uh, 
end of my grandmother's life when she required memory care. And um, our family was very concerned about it. They didn't know how to, uh, to facilitate the process of getting my grandmother to a facility where she could be taken care of beyond the means that the family could take care of her. And as I said, my father was able to jump in and, uh, and, and just take hold of the process. And he figured out a way to, um, to get her into that facility without burning up all of her uh, life savings and her inheritance and, and, and ruining her finances just because she suddenly needed this major medical care. And Brian A. Lowe is here. I believe that you can do a good job of explaining how you might make that happen. Well, I'll try. You've got to understand that <clears throat> we've gotten by for thousands of years with any kind, without any kind of real elder care, community-based elder care. Right. Traditionally, it has been a family problem. Mm -hmm. When a person gets old, their son or daughter step up to the plate or the family steps up to the plate. And sometimes if their children can't do it, their grandchildren step up to the plate to try to take care of them. But at that time, families generally lived in a localized community. Right. And they were not spread out across, let's say, the United States or even multiple countries. And now, and at that time, there were fewer people. Right. And so it wasn't really a great, great problem. But with the world wars and, and the transportation systems and everything else, people have spread out. Families are not always in the same location. So even here in Las Vegas, we have lots of uh, people who have come here to retire. They've moved away from their children or the grandchildren or the their friends or whatever. And so they find themselves alone. Now what do we do with these people when there is no one in the family that is going to be taking care of them locally? Right. And there are so many more people. The baby boomers are now coming in and, and we have many, many more people who need this long-term care. And the population is getting older as well. The population is getting older, so it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem. And so this is what has developed, uh, why elder care or elder law has, has uh, developed, to try to take care of these elderly people. Now, the federal government has gotten involved, and they, Congress has felt that as long as a person has the capacity to take care of their own needs, pay for it themselves, et cetera, then they should have to pay for it. Right. And it's not until they become indigent and they are alone and they have the need does the government want to step in and, and assist a person in their long-term care needs. Well, that sounds like it would be too late at that point, though, right? Sometimes it is. Once they become indigent, once they have spent down everything that they have, down to $2,000, let's say, mm -hmm. then they become indigent. Then the federal government and state, through the, through the Medicaid partnership, will step in and, if they qualify, will, in fact, give them assistance. And so if they're receiving Social Security or some kind of pension or whatever, that is expected to be paid to the providers of the of the care mm -hmm. and any difference the government through the medicaid program will in fact step up to the plate 
and pay the difference. And so the elderly are being taken care of through these funds, welfare funds are what they are. But as long as a person has assets, they are expected to pay for their own. Now, in the United States, uh, I believe there's a couple of states that feel as though children should be responsible for taking care of their, their parents. But Nevada is not one of them, and the majority of states are, uh, aren't, haven't moved in that direction. I've got a uh, caller on the phone has a question for Mr. Lowe. Judy is on the line right now. Hello, Judy. Hi. Um, my parents are in their 70s, and they're in fairly good health right now, but they do not have any long-term care insurance. Um, what's the best plan for them to do right now in case they need to use Medicaid in the future? If they do not have any kind of a long-term care plan, oftentimes people will buy long-term care insurance, and that will provide a period of time that the insurance will pay for that, that long-term care, which will give the elderly a chance to do the long-term planning. But if they haven't done the long-term planning, then what we have to do is look a lot uh, significantly at their estate plan. If your mother and father are both alive, they are expected to pay for that care of the, we'll call the institutionalized spouse, as long as they have sufficient assets. Now, if you have done a plan, let's say they have a will or a trust that provides for all of the, the assets of both, cup, uh, both members of the couple to go, be there and available for the surviving grantor, then what happens is everything that they have it will have to be available or considered available assets before Medicaid will step up to the plate. So what we do is we do some planning and some people don't like this kind of planning because they, they have done estate planning, they have put together their trusts in such a way so they can avoid probate, and now we're coming back to them and saying, well, under these circumstances, we're going to, when one of you die, separate those assets. We're going to push the decedent's assets off into a probate, and through that probate process, we can create a separate trust on the side with the decedent's assets and create a third-party trust which has supplemental needs provisions in it so that the surviving spouse can get the sufficient funds for supplemental needs but will the entire amount is not included as available assets that would have to be paid down before they get any Medicaid benefits. So there are things that we can do in the short run. There are also some crisis programs where we are are spending down uh, and there are certain things that you can spend down on if they have reasonably good um, health right now and it's not an emergency situation, we can start some kind of a a trust where the income from that trust can go to for the benefit of your parents and then um, after five years, then that gift that has been put over into that trust 
uh, with the income flowing off of it is not going to be considered uh, uh, an asset that was given away to make them uh, poor. Judy, I've got a question for you. Are your parents in a position right now that they could um, consult with uh, Mr. Lowe and, and have a look at what they do have available? Is that something that's possible right now? Oh, yes. They're in good health, and they both are still of, of right mind. I mean, and they would probably need to see him for his for their estate planning. I mean, it's definitely a complex issue, and I was just thinking that if, you, um, if they'd like to, they could schedule an appointment. Um, yes. Uh, if, they, if you would have... Uh, uh, them call or you can call for them. Uh, my my office phone number uh, that's two five nine zero 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 two, and we do provide a uh, free consultation. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very thank much, you, Judy. Judy. So you touched on something very interesting there while you were uh, explaining it to Judy, and this is a very complex subject because uh, it's something that you don't plan on or you should plan on, but most people don't plan on. Um, but I think that a lot of people start thinking, well, if I'm starting to, uh, if I'm expected to pay for this, but I can figure out a way to not per se pay for this care, is that ethical? Am I, am I, am I playing fast and loose with the law or am I, am I abiding by the letter of the law? Well, at one time, this goes back about uh, 10 years ago, Congress said that, you know, people are, um, planning to be poor, to be indigent. Mm -hmm. And we don't think that that is really a moral thing. That is taking advantage of the uh, system. And so they made it illegal. Right. And so they there became criminal penalties for getting involved in these kinds of planning techniques. Then... There were a lot of lawsuits that were brought up because the government would try to uh, prosecute someone who uh, was doing it, and that was not very successful. So what they did was they went against the lawyers or other advisors who counsel them to do certain things to make themselves prepared for, for Medicaid. <clears throat> but that failed also, even though some of these laws are still on the books, mm -hmm. they are not effective because how can you tell a lawyer not to counsel their client uh, with, under the law, what the law will allow you to do? Right. And so the, these uh, attorneys and, and other advisors are just explaining to them what the law is and what they can do. And there's nothing illegal or improper in doing it. So what we're talking about right now is elder law planning. Uh, we're talking about uh, making sure that if you're caught in a crisis and you need care that you did not expect, how you can preserve your assets and still legally take care of that problem. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Brian Alo on Ask the Experts. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720, KDWN. Welcome back. The number to call, 702-257-5396. That's 702-257-5396. It doesn't cost you a thing to talk to Brian A. Lowe here on Ask the Experts and also doesn't cost you anything to come in and have a consultation. Is that correct? That is correct. So we've got a question on the line right now from Karen. Karen, are you there? Karen? 
is there an amount limit and how is that protected? Uh, can you repeat your question, please, Karen? Yes. It, when you create a third-party trust, is there an amount limit that can go into that and how is it protected from anyone? A third-party trust, and you're bringing up a term that you're familiar with, maybe the audience is not familiar with. There's a first-party trust, and that's where the person is creating a trust for their own benefit. Right. A third-party trust is a trust that is created by a third person for the benefit of another person. Right. And in third-party trusts, there are no limitations on how much you can put into the third-party trust. Okay. And with a third-party trust, of course, the the grantor, the creator of that trust, has the ability to decide how those assets are to be used. But even in a third-party uh, special needs trust, there are provisions that have to be put into that trust that are a little unusual in the normal trust situation that will keep it from being an available asset for Medicaid purposes. Okay. Okay, I guess you answered my question. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you very Thank much, you. Karen. Thank the, the number to call is 702-257-5396. Now, so for instance, uh, you find yourself in this situation and your parent or a loved one, uh, an older person or someone who just needs um, uh, special care that, that was not necessary, necessarily planned for in advance. Um, I've heard the term guardianship tossed around what is it what is it i mean it seems pretty self-explanatory i guess but what who is the guardian of this person okay <clears throat> a person well normally under common law if a person got to the point where they could not handle their own financial affairs or their own medical decisions someone would have to step up to the plate generally it was a family member and they would go to the court and a petition the court to be named the guardian of that individual. Mm -hmm. And this was a court process. 20 years or so ago, the legislatures of most of the states came up with a program called a, a durable power of attorney. Traditionally, powers of attorney, once a person became incompetent, they were no, the power of attorney was no longer valid, mm -hmm. just like a power of attorney is no longer valid when a person dies. But they did this thing called a durable power of attorney. So oftentimes people will execute a durable power of attorney, giving someone, a trusted person, right. the right to make their medical decisions for them mm -hmm. and or their financial decisions for them. And a well-drafted durable power of attorney is, is important because you need to give that trusted person the right to put together trusts, wills, and other documents that will protect their, their assets in the event they become incompetent and they can't create these documents themselves. So, so the, but with a guardianship, you're going through the court, you're getting a court order saying you are now their guardian and you can step into the shoes of the ward and take care of all of their affairs. So the guardianship and the durable power of attorney are two different things. They are. But oftentimes in a, a durable power of attorney, you will name whoever 
the attorney in fact is under the durable power of attorney mm -hmm. as your guardian if a guardianship is needed. And sometimes even though there's a durable power of attorney, if you don't give them all the powers that are needed, sometimes they'll turn around, your family will turn around, get a guardianship right. so that they will have the power to create certain documentation that will assist in the long-term care of that individual. So the idea is that if you are going to go for a guardianship or a durable power of attorney, you need to take care of both of those so that they aren't in conflict with each other. Is that the case? Well, the guardianship now with durable powers of attorney is really a backup situation if your durable power of attorney is not working the way that uh, you thought it was going to work. And so durable powers of attorney are very important to have it done properly and to get the, the right kinds of powers in that so that you're not forced into the guardianship court. The number to call 702-257-5396. We're talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, talking about elder law. And speaking of conflicts, um, uh, we're talking about the conflicting nature. Everyone has heard the case uh, of someone who has been granted a power of attorney, who uh, other family members late to the game don't feel like they're acting in the best interests of this person, or uh, there's there's often conflicts between siblings. You know, a lot of emotions run high in these situations. Uh, we're talking about a parent, a loved one. We're talking about an inheritance, which unfortunately does cause conflict with people. How do you resolve conflicts so that you're you're doing the best to help the person who needs it the most? Generally, if a person has a durable power of attorney, that attorney, in fact, is the one that will be making those those decisions. Mm -hmm. However, if they are doing something improper, uh, they're dishonest, whatever, then other family members can step up and say, we want a guardianship. Once a guardianship is, there's a petition for guardianship and a new guardian is appointed, right. then the durable power of attorney becomes void. Once you have the guardianship, mm -hmm. the durable power falls, falls out. And then the courts take over, and the guardian has to to uh, account each year to the judge as to what is happening with their ward, financially and, and otherwise. As an attorney, who are you representing in these situations? Are you representing uh, the, the uh, person in need of the care? Are you representing the children who are trying to plan for the care for the, for the uh, elder? Uh, member of the family. How does that work? Who comes to you? Sometimes it's the parent. Sometimes it's the children or mm -hmm. family member who's looking to be the guardian. That has to be worked out initially because the attorney has their client's best interest at heart. And if you're representing, let's say, the proposed guardians and you're going to do everything you can from their standpoint to become the guardian. Right. The guardianship court, though, really tries hard to make sure that whoever is appointed as guardian is a person that will properly take care of them. And it's important to the court to have the, the proposed ward in the courtroom to, deter, to answer questions that the judge may have. Do you want this guardianship? Do you want this person to be the guardian? Do you feel like you need to have counsel to represent your interest? 
whether this person is the right person or what you want to do with your assets. And so the, the guardianship court tries to do its best to protect the rights of the ward. So I've, I've been reading articles. They keep popping up. Like we said, the world population is getting older. The uh, fastest growing segment of the population is 65 plus. Uh, the government of Japan has always awarded silver cups to people turning 100 years old. I read this last week, and mm. each cup costs about $65. They're made out of real silver, silver-plated or whatever. They can no longer afford to because when they started the program, there were 180 people that were 100 years old. Now there's 30,000 people just this year. So this is a, a, a timely topic. And when we come back, we'll be taking your calls at 702-257-5396, talking to Brian A. Lowe on Ask the Experts. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720, KDWN. Brian Black here talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe and Associates. The number to call 702-257-5396. We're talking about elder law and planning for memory care and long-term care. Uh, we're talking about guardianships just a few moments ago, and it's an uncomfortable part of this uh, situation. And this is, this is a, a situation where emotions can run really high. Um, what if the person in need of care doesn't believe it? Who decides and how is it decided when somebody needs to be a guardian? Or is there a way to, to make that happen when, when the, the person who is in need of the care is resistant? This is often the case. Sometimes the people feel, hey, I'm becoming so for forgetful. I don't remember how to get home. I don't know. I mean, there are lots of things that people start forgetting. And so they realize that they need help. There are many other people who feel, I'm fine. They see themselves as fine. They look in the mirror and say, this is, you know, I'm great. But the world doesn't look at them that way. And so when you go to have a guardianship set up, either the person has to agree that they need a guardian. And oftentimes the judge will ask them, Do you, are, is this... Do you want him to be your guardian? Right. But if they don't want to be the guardian, they can say, no, I don't want him to be the guardian. I don't want a guardianship, et cetera. So what the judge and the courts will require is some verification that this person really is in need of having a guardian. And so we generally go to the the physicians and have the physicians uh, examine them and if the physicians examine them and say, yes, they, they do have some incapacity that keeps them from, from handling their own financial affairs or they're subject to being taken advantage of or whatever, then the court will take that into consideration and most of the time will say, yes, you do need a guardian and appoint someone to be that guardian. In your experience, is that, uh, is that an easy process? Do you need an attorney during that process? What to, I mean, obviously, as, an, as a practicing attorney, I know that you would recommend that. Um, but is, is it difficult? I mean, is it hard to get through this? It's not really difficult. Sometimes people will do it in proper person. Uh, or in other words, they do it themselves mm -hmm. without having an attorney. Sometimes this really clutters up the court and and most judges do not want to practice law over the bench. Right. Sometimes judges will uh, step over that boundary a little bit and try to practice law and come up with documentation for them, mm -hmm. et cetera. But most of the time, the judges do not have the time and they do not 
should not be practicing law over the bench. So if you have a problem, it's best to go to an attorney and at least get some consultation on it. And if you feel like you can do it yourself, you try to do it yourself. You'd save some money. But most of the time, you're not going to save any time and money by trying to do a guardianship yourself. So as we said before, it doesn't cost anything to get a consultation with Brian A. Lowe and Associates. Uh, the number to call is 702-259-0002. Uh, you can also visit southernnevadalawyers.com or brianalowe.com and uh, check out their history, their, their biography, the contact information. They'll book an appointment with you. You come in, no obligation whatsoever, um, and get some, get some advice about what you should do next. Now, what are some mistakes that people make in this situation? I know you've seen them. Well, oftentimes in planning, people think, well, I have to be indigent before I can be entitled to any kind of Medicaid benefits. Mm -hmm. And so they will start making gifts. They will give uh, their their son the the automobile. Mm -hmm. They'll give their daughter uh, some money. Uh, They will transfer accounts. They will transfer assets without anything in return. These gifts can haunt them because any, once you get to the point where you have a need mm-hmm. for some kind of long-term care and you do not have the financial wherewithal to take care of that need, then that becomes kind of the snapshot date. And from that snapshot date, when you're going into Medicaid and saying, I need some assistance, right. Medicaid then will look back a full five years. Right. And during that five-year look back, if you have given anything away to anyone without something in return, a fair market value, then that is a gift. And you add up all the gifts during that full five-year period and you divide that by a divisor. And the divisor in it is generally a little different in most states, but it's around seven thousand. We'll just call it seven thousand. Mm-hmm. And then you divide that into the amount of the gifts, and then that comes up with a number. And that's the that number is the number of months that you will be penalized for making yourself indigent. So in Medicaid's opinion, as, a, as an entity, they look at it and they're like, well, this person is trying to game the system. What they've done is they've given away all their money, and now they want to claim that they don't, they, they don't have any money, when in fact that money is really just sitting out there among family members. And so they have invented a system, not invented it, they've come up with a system to account for that. And so you cannot claim Medicaid for a certain number of months divided by, as, as like you say, a divisor of how much money you've given away in the last five years. That is correct. So uh, what do you do? What is, what is the right thing to do? Well, the right thing to do is to plan ahead. I would suggest that most people plan just like they buy life insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, they plan what happens if I die? I need the, these funds to take care of my wife and my children, et cetera. Well, with long-term care, you should plan as part of your estate plan some kind of a long-term care program so that when the time comes that you need long-term care, then that insurance will cover you for at least five years. Right. And then after, when you start getting that that care from your insurance care uh, company, you transfer your assets, let's say, to 
your family members or whatever, and then they will fall outside of the five-year look back right. when you run out of long-term care insurance. And this is all according to the letter of the law. This is it's how all within the law. Yeah, yes, and this is. is how Medicaid wants it. They don't want you giving away all your property. They want you to, to do the right thing, and, and you want to do the right thing as well. Correct. It's a scary subject, and I think that a lot of people are very hesitant about it. It's kind of like the people that put off going to the doctor because they're afraid to get bad news, and they don't want to... Uh, they don't want to uh, borrow trouble by making a plan against something that they hope doesn't happen. But in fact, in reality, it is happening. Uh, we are all getting older. We all are going to need something down the road, and it's best to plan for it. And it doesn't cost you anything to talk to Brian A. Lowe here on the radio at 702-257-5396 or with a free consultation at 702-259-0002. So is this... How much of a how much of your business would you say is consumed by this one area? We have inc- brought in the elder law uh, planning into all of our estate planning, mm-hmm. so that when the time comes that they need long term care, they have it within their documents. It's all one of the contingencies to provide a plan for them to get through this without uh, uh, being everything taken from them. So I'm getting to a certain point in life where my my children are adults, I have grandchildren, I'm starting to plan my future. Everybody should put together a will if they have assets that they want to distribute. And so the best thing to do is what I'm hearing right now is is if you're going to put together a will and you're going to visit an attorney anyway to put together a will, the right thing to do is to go ahead and think about everything that could happen. Do it all in, in one plan that plans for different contingencies. And this is something that doesn't cost you anything other than your time and the investment in the right kind of planning. Is that correct? That is correct. Matter of fact, it's it's getting to the point where it can almost be considered malpractice if an attorney, an estate planning attorney, does not take into account these contingencies that they may need long-term care. Very interesting. So right now you can go to southernnevadalawyers.com or brianalow.com, Brian with a Y and Low with an E on the end. Uh, they've got two websites just to make it a little bit easier for you to find. You can also call 702-257-0, excuse me, 259-0002 and schedule an appointment. Talking about elder law today, I think that this is a complex subject. We've taken a couple of calls on it. We actually had a couple of people call more than once, but I would encourage those people to call Brian Lowe and schedule an appointment because if, 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 you know, I don't think one minute of, yeah, one, excuse me, I don't think one minute of conversation is going to get to the bottom of your individual issue. Um, Brian, if you don't mind, do you think about, I uh, think we're going to carry this on into next week's show? If I think that this is a topic that, most people should really consider and we can answer a lot of their questions and so we can carry it over to next week next week is uh, uh, labor day and well people who got a little more time on their hands right that's right Maybe well hopefully so more questions well thank you for coming in today again brian i really appreciate the conversation uh, ask the experts every day at 9 a.m right here on am 720 k don i'm brian black and we'll see you next week with brian a low and associates thank you brian